When I was a child, my family would travel down to western Kentucky where my parents were born. And there's a backwards old town that's often remembered. I would say Starling House is my contemporary Kentucky Gothic and also slightly, if you squint, a Beauty and the Beast retelling. Um, so it's got all those elements that you would expect in a Southern Gothic. There's a small town, there's a girl with a troubled past, there's a spooky house, and it's sort of how all of these events collide. That's writer Alex E. Harrow talking about her new novel, Starling House. Alex is the author of The 10,000 Doors of January and The Once and Future Witches. In our What We're Reading conversation, we'll hear about the Kentucky Coal Town roots of her story, writing Southern Gothics, and what the soundtrack to her book would sound like. So Starling House takes place in a kind of down-and-out Kentucky town, ironically called Eden, and our main character is Opal, who describes herself as a high school dropout with a part-time job and bad teeth. <laughs> um, you painted a very vivid picture of her already. Can you tell us more about Opal and the town? So I didn't drop out of high school, but I also didn't go to high school. <laughs> I kind of skipped over it and I do have terrible teeth. So I, I did steal liberally from Opal. <laughs> um, no, so the town of Eden is my unsubtle, unclever reference to the actual town of Paradise, Kentucky. Um, which is another place that interestingly no longer exists, but it actually used to. Um, and it was made kind of famous by this John Prine song from 1971, which I now realize not everyone in this country listens to John Prine. Oh, we do. We do up here. Oh, I'm so glad. I've done enough interviews now that I'm like, oh no, he's not a household name. But anyway, if you don't know the song, it is the story of a tiny Kentucky town on the Green River where Peabody Cole built the largest steam shovel in the world at the time and strip-mined 50,000 acres of it. Um, the TVA, meanwhile, built what was then the largest coal-fired power plant. Um, and by 1969, I think the power plant had only been operating for like six years. They were forced to buy out and relocate all 800 people who lived in Paradise because it was so toxic to exist there. The air was un unbreathable and the water was undrinkable. Um, and they bulldozed the entire town and all that is left now of paradise is a cemetery. And so this is a little bit like a what if or maybe like a ghost story. Like what if that town had survived and what would it be kind of haunted by? Would you consider Opal to be a reliable narrator? She's kind of a tough girl. She's also taking care of her brother. And then she gets a job at this this house, this starling house where a lot of the story takes place. Um, I guess just I'd love to have um, people know a little bit more about her going into the story. Yeah. So Opal is, I'm learning from reviewers, a morally gray character. <laughs> but I considered her as I was writing her very much just like, um, I thought of her as very, very relatable and, and not necessarily morally gray so much as just like a person in a difficult circumstance. So she's orphaned she's responsible for her younger brother she's living in a motel and I in no way have I ever had life experiences that difficult but I have lived for most of my life kind of hovering around the poverty line and my understanding of life at that level is that you kind of just do what you have to do and and that to me is her entire ethos um 
And I think where the interesting kind of part of her character came for me was the a person who just does what they have to do, kind of beginning to make room in their life for what they might want or what they might dream of when you've when you've shut those things down for so long. This is what we're reading on KAXE, KBXE, and we're talking with writer Alex E. Harrow. Her new novel is a modern gothic fairy tale. It's called Starling House. So one aspect of this story is that um, there there is a book that is being talked about. And there is something so neat about books about books. And the book at the center of Starling House is called The Underland. It is kind of a darker version of Alice in Wonderland I, is how I um, deciphered it. And the author in your story is Eleanor Starling of the Starling House, a recluse who disappeared over 100 years ago. What can you tell us about this book's role in the story? <laughs> so I do I do have this terrible habit of putting books within books, and I've, I'm afraid I've done it again. <laughs> um, this one, though, I was thinking about... In one sense, I was thinking about the problem with the Southern Gothic and the big spooky house. The reason there is a large house is generally because there was a lot of wealth at some point. And um, I don't think there are very many places in the world, but particularly not the American South, where you can have a huge legacy of wealth that is not deeply poison and toxic. And so trying to imagine a source for wealth that was involved in that, and her story does connect to that, um, but that is also how could a woman in the 19th century independently gain a fortune and and weirdly probably because it's been my own experience um publishing came to mind and sort of these few very idiosyncratic um 19th and early 20th century female children's writers that was like an era and a genre that was emerging i studied it um, for my master's in history i wrote about victorian children's literature um, so I had a lot of like emotions going into it and then the reason it was it's kind of a spooky children's book um and I think children's fiction has always had this sort of undercurrent of real darkness and grimness to it that is often not what is being necessarily pushed by the publishers of the time, but is what is often remembered and what sticks with children and with readers. And so I was trying to do almost like a cult hit children's book that still has a legacy and matters to people today. I really also enjoyed Opal researching the the family, the Starling family in the in the Underland book and coming across some Wikipedia pages <laughs> <laughs> like uh, that you included in the book. And they were so real. I found myself like going online and researching to make sure none of the stuff that you were talking about to see if any of that was real. Um, but just no, the, they just had such a real quality to it. it the was, typesetters and the copy editors yeah. were so patient with me. It was like, look, guys. I know, but I need a new font. It has to be the Wikipedia font. And you have to make these look like hyperlinks and do the like bracketed footnotes. They were really, really patient. And with the me. citations and everything too. That was a really nice touch. <laughs> um, you mentioned Gothic and there are uh, obviously fairy tale elements to the story, but there are also horror elements. And do you distinguish between horror and Gothic uh, as genres? I do, but I am not a cop about genres. So I do feel like every author is just pulling kind of loosely from their own personal canon and you never fully know what genre you're in until you've written the book. But um, 
I think gothic is the correct one for this one because I'm not actually a horror person. Like I think if a true horror fan reads this book, they're like, this wasn't scary at all. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> I think what makes the gothic interesting as a genre is partly because it has shapeshifted so much since its inception. You know, it's like geographically moved. It's there's highbrow gothic and there's very lowbrow paperback gothic with, you know, like women in white dresses running from houses. There's all these varieties that it's been. Um, but what is consistent to me is sort of this element of a hauntedness and a um, unsettlingness. It's more of a tonal aesthetic thing than it is um, to be scary specifically. So I feel like that's where this lives. Um, and I think what you just said, where like there's some horror elements and there's some fairy tale elements, that's gothic. <laughs> okay, great. That's a good definition. So I did see a quote about your book from your publisher, Tor senior editor, Miriam Weinberg, says <laughs> that the story is what would happen if Casey Musgraves and indie rock band Boy Genius made a concept album for the ghosts of Shirley Jackson and Daphne du Maurier. Do you think that they would make an accurate soundtrack? Is this <laughs> is this an accurate description of, of your story? I mean... Vibes wise, probably. I listened to a lot of Boy Genius when I was writing it for sure. Um, I do. I just, I mean, it makes me nervous whenever I'm like, yes, my writing is like Shirley Jackson. Like, no one should be saying that. That's a ridiculous thing to say. Or even like Casey Musgraves or Boy Genius. Like, that feels very, like, that's a lot of hubris. <laughs> um, and I would say there's more John Prine to it, maybe, okay. than yeah. there is. Yeah. So there is kind of a soundtrack to this. Yeah. To oh, this absolutely. Story. Yeah. Love it. Mr. Peabody's cold train is hauled it away. Alex E. Harrow's new novel is Starling House. It's a wonderfully written book and a dark, mysterious, and romantic story. A very enjoyable read. It's what we're reading. I'm Tammy Bobrowski. To the Rochester Dam. I'll be halfway to heaven with paradise wing. Just five miles away from wherever I am. Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River where paradise lays Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking Mr. Peabody's cold train has hauled it away